You're listening to TCT Radio, recorded live at the annual TCT meeting. Today's episode is hosted by Ajay Kurtney. It features discussions on quantitative flow ratio, bioresorbable scaffolds, live cases, and more. Thank you so much uh, for being with us. This is the uh, afternoon segment, 3 to 4 p.m. of TCT Radio uh, here on day two of TCT. I'm Ajay Kirthane, and I have a, a great panel, diverse panel, mixed panel of uh, Professor Marie-Claude Maurice, Professor Bernard Chevalier. Um, we have a fellow in training, an interventional fellow, Philip Wiesner, and then also uh, Jelmer Westra, who presented um, data today on the use of a, a very interesting angio-based FFR system. Um, so, you know, I think that the format of this is just an open discussion. Some of you have done this before. We want to talk a little bit about data, a little bit about the experience you've been having today at the meeting, and it can be from anything from the academic uh, interest as well as to things you're doing in Denver. Otherwise, I think, uh, Mary Claude, I don't know if you've ever done this with Roxana, but she's been known to ask people, you know, what color socks they were wearing in very typical Roxana fashion. So, um, and this is her, her baby, so I'll, I'll try to do my best impression. So maybe, maybe we'll start... Um, Jumper, with you, tell us how your presentation went today and some pretty interesting uh, data on angio-based FFR systems, and there's several systems like that now. So just take us through it really briefly, what you showed. Yeah, thank you. Well, today both the Favor 2 China and the Favor 2 Europe, uh, Japan represented both evaluating this new uh, technique, which we call QFR, an angio-based uh, estimation of FFR. So um, I think today we presented two large studies showing that it is quite accurate when we use FFR as, as reference standard. And the overall conclusion was that uh, this may broaden the physiological lesion assessment worldwide. And this was calculated in real time in the lab, or this was something where you did it offline? Tell us what this It was, uh, well, the, the main aim was to actually see if it was feasible uh, to do it in procedure, so while the patient is diagnosed in the cat lab and treated. So in both studies, it was done in procedure uh, blinded to FFR. And in favor two Europe, Japan, one of the, the, the endpoints was actually to see and compare time to FFR and time to QFR. And we showed that the time to QFR was faster. So it seems to be feasible to do it in real time. That's great. Any experience, Mary Claude or Bernard, with, with these types of systems in the lab? Or what, what's your, if I just had to ask you if, you, if somebody tells you about this, does this sound like something makes sense, not going to work? What do you think? Yes, we we have used it in a short cohort of patients, not as big as a, in a favor of China, which enroll a lot of patients in five weeks. It's very impressive. Uh, we use it in uh, 38 patients, so it's a very small cohort, but good good accuracy, except in bifurcation lesion. In bifurcation lesion, clearly the fact that you have a significant side branch is something which is a real issue for the for the software so far, at least. Any thoughts? No, no, I have no personal experience. No, uh, of course, it's fascinating yeah, because uh, the, uh, we all know that uh, these uh, functional measurements are uh, extremely important. We know the limits of angio, so uh, having the possibility of making them more simple by angio or even by city, which is also developed, it's really, uh, really interesting. 
It is. I mean, one of the things that came up in some of the breakfast sessions today, though, were, you know, what about issues such as uh, viability? So if the territory is infarcted, yeah. then, you know, you can have a severe stenosis, but it's really not going to affect your FFR very much because the microcirculation uh, can't dilate. Or what if you, for instance, are supplying a collateral territory and, and these types of things? And I think the only way to sort some of this out will be to actually enroll those patients or study them or use it in clinical practice. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a shame here in the U.S. the rate of FFR pales in comparison to, to the overall rate of PCI. Um, and it's clear that physiology is just not being used perhaps as much as it ought to be used. Um, I don't know, Philip, what's your experience as a fellow in training? Is, have, have things changed since you were a general fellow to now in terms of the use of physiology? Is it more common, less common? I definitely think so. I mean, we're very fortunate at Columbia that we have an FFR team so we can easily ask for FFR. I was at UCLA before, where it was a lot harder to get FFR for a standard procedure. Somebody had to come in, they had to set up the system. So it was already a hurdle, and then, as you know, a lot of the operators also press for time. They have clinic patients to see in between, so sometimes I think time is a pressing issue for those cases. But, I mean, I agree from experience, a lot of the times angiographic data alone is not good enough, and we are mistaken or misled by what we see, and we, I think, miss significant lesions a lot of the times. Yeah, and I don't think that's something that's unique to an individual institution. They're typically, even even for people that are well used to, doing, well versed in doing it, if you have a multi-vessel disease case where you know you have to FFR all mm -hmm. three vessels, just psychologically, I think, you know it's going to take longer. And uh, so the ability to do this in a way where you can potentially take your lead off and do it that way seems certainly very interesting. The only question that I have with some of these systems is that, you know, FFRCT takes a very large data set and is able to manipulate that data set. And in many cases, I know the, the meta system, you only really need two views, right? You yeah, don't need exactly. three even. So it's just two views and to be able to reconstruct the same amount of data, for instance, that you might get with a CT, you wonder, can it really do it? But these types of studies are the way you sort that out. Yeah, and the note to that is, of course, those two views are vessel specific. So with CT, you, of course, get the whole system. So that's a, a, a difference. The final question I'll ask you is tell us a little bit about the gray zone, though. Because if you look at the Bland-Altman plots, um, what you can see is that there's variability. And that variability, particularly if you're in the 0.82 range or otherwise, can affect clinical decision making. Yeah. So I think in one of your, so maybe it was your slides, there was a question or a discussion about a hybrid approach. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Because it's, it, it's correct what you say, with any test with a binary cutoff, you will always have some uh, diagnostic variation around the cut point. If you repeat FFR twice, you will not get 100% accuracy either. So we uh, predefined this gray zone where we would find uh, the limits to yield 95% uh, sensitivity and specificity and create this gray zone where FFR would still be needed. <coughs> And what we found was uh, that this gray zone was between 0.77 and 0.86. And if we applied that to our data set, we would spare the pressurizer and adenosine in 68% of the cases. So this could be the first way to implement it in, in, in the clinic. And is that is, are you using it in clinical practice now? or Not at the moment. These are the first two initial studies. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of factors we need to look closer at. The, scarred myocardium and also bifurcations as Bernard correctly mentioned that there are a lot of uncertain factors at this point still. Great. So other uh, key data from today were some of the late follow-up from Absorb, uh, Absorb 3, um, as well as the 30-day endpoints from Absorb 4. Um, Bernard, I know you were on the panel with me, but tell me what your thoughts are 
seeing it, not only for this current technology, but iterations of the technology going forward? Yes, of course, we have got uh, mixed data, if I can say that uh, today. Some of them are uh, a little bit reassuring about the technology, particularly the 30 days data of Absorb 4, showing that uh, when you apply a very good technique in terms of implantation, you can uh, really have a positive impact of the result on to be non-inferior at 30 days versus uh, Xions. This is a good thing. The other good news is coming from the Absorb, four, uh, absorb 2 at 4 years, uh, with no additional uh, scaffold thrombosis after uh, the resorption process of the, of the device. Of course, Absorb 2 is a relatively small cohort, it's only 500 patients, but uh, at least it's a good news. We had bad news last year with Absorb 2, we have better news this year. And uh, it's interesting also to see in Absorb 3 how Absorb 3 is replicating what, what we discovered last year with Absorb 2 with this uh, bump of uh, scaffold thrombosis in the third year, mainly relatively large vessels, which are suggesting the role of uh, dismantling of the, of the device very close to the end of the uh, resorption process. You know, one of the things that... Um I, I take from this is looking at it in a historical perspective. Perhaps, Professor Maurice, you can tell us a little bit about this. You know, if, if Absorb had been compared to Cypher or Taxus, it actually wouldn't look that bad. But <laughs> am, am I wrong in saying that? I mean, I, oh, yes, especially to Taxus, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but we are not using them anymore. Huh? That's right. And I, you know, it's just a, it's worth mentioning, but, um, I think ultimately we're not using taxes and we use better stents now. Yeah. And it's the other thing that's very neat about Absorb 2, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there were no thromboses in, in the uh, Absorb arm, but the Zionist arm also did very, very well between year and 3-4 as well. Mm -hmm. And so this whole paradigm that these late events are because of the metal and all mm -hmm. of this, I, I don't know, are you beginning to question that or, or is that just, do we really know? I think it's it's sure that the result of uh, mid-term or long-term uh, outcome uh, with axions are really amazing, and I think it's difficult to beat a zero percent rate. <laughs> so I think it's uh, something we can need to consider on very long run, and we certainly need extremely long-term uh, follow-up in this uh, comparative trial. Maybe five five years is not enough. Yeah, and I even by the way the absorb. For 30-day data, although TLF was inf not inferior, I mean the upper bound of the confidence interval was I think 2.89, mm -hmm. and the boundary was 2.9. Yeah. So I mean it was it was very very close, which is a little bit sobering. You that you couldn't completely make the stent better by by a more effective technique. Um, I don't know if you all saw that there, there was also a cost-effectiveness analysis presented um, for uh, for Taver with the um, both uh, Partner 2A and then the S3 registry. Um, it's the costs are calculated in U.S. dollars, but what was I think pretty impressive about it is that um, quality of life was better with Taver, and costs, despite the upfront cost of the valve, were lower. So pretty much every way you looked at it from an economically based analysis. Taver seemed to be superior to surgery in the randomized trial in intermediate risk patients, but then also the registry compared to the randomized trial. Is that what you see in your patients? Or patients, if you had a patient that had intermediate risk characteristics and you asked them, are they just saying they want Taver at this point, or is that what you're offering predominantly? 
let's say it, um, uh, it's difficult. Uh, we we cannot push the um, we can push the envelope outside trial. It's it's sure that uh, we are completely convinced that intermediate risk uh, patients uh, uh, have bet, uh, at least as good outcome and probably better than than with surgery. But um, let's say we are uh, we we need the result of the trial to to in, to in increase the indication to uh, even lower risk patients. Uh, despite that, in the registry, you see progressively the, the, the risk decreasing because uh, the, the practice is going uh, f um, uh, faster than the, than the trials. Absolutely. And one, one question for, I know we have a, several coronary interventionalists here too. In the low-risk patients, do you worry about the coronary issue in terms of, like, for instance, a core valve and covering the coronaries? And, and you know, you take a 50-year-old low-risk patient, I mean, they can have now 30, 40 years to then have mm -hmm. coronary disease. Um, I, I almost, I've heard somebody say that the intermediate risk and high risk is probably the best sweet spot for TAVR, and the low risk, it may be a little bit more questionable. Is that fair, or what, what do you think? I think we'll see. We are now uh, randomizing patients in clinical trials comparing uh, surgery to, to TAVR. Uh, in um, low risk, and uh, we have uh, different studies, and uh, we are participating in my center with uh, low risk study with core valve. I think it's access to coronary is not really a concern. If we have a concern regarding low risk patients, it's more about durability and the need for a pacemaker. I think these are two main concerns. Because, of course, putting a pacemaker in a patient with 65 is not exactly the same thing than a patient over 80s. Is that, is that true? I mean, we've definitely had cases, though, where the guide support is an issue, and instead of using extra backup guide, you're using a JL4 on the left side and, and having, having problems like that. And I just worry that in the low-risk trials, you know, short-term it's going to look fine. Yeah. But then what if they start developing more advanced disease later? Is, that could be a challenge. Yeah, especially in, uh, for an MI in the middle of the night. Huh? <laughs> that's right. No, that's right. And you don't want to be, be, um, be doing that. So, Philip, tell us some interesting things that you saw today or did today. He's been, Philip has been a member of the factoid faculty where when live cases are shown, he's showing um, slides relevant to the live cases. Any, any interesting things in the arenas or otherwise that you saw? Yeah, we had a very good time, actually. I was with one of my co-fellows, uh, Jonathan Rubin, like in the structural theater. Mm -hmm. The entire morning we saw cases, international cases, we saw a case from Bonn, we saw a case from Leipzig. And it was very good to get perspective from different countries compared to just seeing um, things how they work in the U.S. We were like very amazed by simple things. There was one case where they used a 14 French sheet for the tavern, then they had pre-closed it and they still had some leakage. And they just ended up deploying um, a vascular plug, like an angioseal, mm. on top of a proclus, which I hadn't seen before, where we would just hold pressure for 20 minutes. And there they just elegantly closed that hole and were done with the case. And I, I, I think our fellows elegantly hold pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we both were amazed. And then we talked to Dr. Moses about this afterwards. And he said, yeah, we did this 10 years ago already. Yeah. And it's like, oh, good. Yeah. Um, that was one. We saw another great case from uh, Cedars for um, they had a surgical bioprosthesis which fairly acutely failed and had a lot of AR. And they used um, a core valve that they deployed and they fixed the aortic regurgitation instantaneously. And the patient did very well hemodynamically afterwards. It was a drastic change that they had gotten there within 20 minutes. Um, also, a very, very good case and amazing to see how quick those procedures can get done instead of like doing a redo surgery for a patient which not have been a candidate 10 years ago. 
Um, yeah, I mean, those were, I think, the highlights for me. I mean, there were other cases, too. They had done um, a redo clip, which was also very good to see. They had shown a very interesting new technique where they had been able to use echo data and they had overlaid it with um, the angiographic data, which I've never seen before. So you were able on the angiography to see um, the heart in three-dimensional structures that you get from the echo to help them guide their procedures. So a lot of emerging technologies from different countries coming out, um, which, yeah. Yeah, that was actually displayed in the main arena as well in the morning, um, uh, a system that allowed that overlay to occur. It was demonstrated in a PFO case where you really don't need to do that, but I think the idea was to show what those types of systems are capable of. Um, it's pretty incredible when you, when you look at it. I mean, the experienced operators, though, I, you know, I'm sure can, can do the cases very well without those technologies, too. So the question is, is how much do they actually add um, overall. Uh, anything that you saw today that was interesting or yesterday? Uh, yeah, well, yesterday uh, I would like to mention and congratulate CCT for the moderated poster sessions, with, uh, which I believe they have increased the amount of this year. It's, uh, I was at a colleague session yesterday and I think it, uh, it, it works really well because um, the sessions uh, are, of course, uh, on the same topic and it's much better discussion than the normal poster mm. session. So I think uh, it's a very good no, thanks for telling me. I'll definitely pass that back. It's always a challenge to try to get people to go to the posters. And, yeah. and it's it's one of those things where a good poster session, you just get you learn so much because you just go around and you exactly. see a lot in a, in, in a short period of time. But unfortunately, with all the various things that go on, sometimes you feel really terrible when somebody's worked really hard and they're standing in front of their poster and nobody's ever seeing them or doing anything else. And that's, I think, one way to to solve that problem. Yeah. Did, did any, have you seen the, the 4015 exhibit yet, the PCI Taver 4015 exhibit um, yeah. yet? So we, I, I think you should, you should definitely go because you're, yeah. you're on the wall. <laughs> but uh, but um, it's, it's upstairs, and uh, it's something that you, Marty, Dr. Leon in particular, you know, have spent a ton of time with, and we were multiple meetings, and it's pretty impressive. There are early devices and interviews and a whole host of things looking at basically how PCI started and where it is now, all the people that helped it get along the way, and then also TAVR because it's the 15th anniversary of TAVR. Uh, I think it's open the rest of today and then uh, tomorrow for half the day. Um, but it's certainly worth a, a walk through. It's, it's kind of in between the coronary and structural theaters and then the exhibit hall area. Um, so that's interesting to do. What it, so thoughts on Denver? What do you think? Bernard, Mary-Claude? No, it's a very convenient facility. Convenient. Uh, no time for, to visit the city, but uh, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's, uh, uh, honestly, it's as usual. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were some people that I don't know if anybody felt there were, there were at least a few people that were either uh, short of breath or um, yeah. or nauseous or not sleeping well yeah, because yeah. of the fi you know, five thousand foot altitude. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if th I didn't experience that, but I went running yesterday and oh. I noticed it. I did notice it, and we didn't know it before. I went with my my roommate and we both went for a run. We were pretty short of breath after a while, and then it come to us. It's like, oh, it must be the height because yeah. we run every other day, and it was just fine. Yeah, I think the other thing you'll notice is if you look at your time, if you have a, a running watch, you are short of breath and running <laughs> half a minute per mile slower than you normally run so it's a big thing um, any other things you've been do doing in the city that that, that you're mainly in the conventions or, or no as, as usual there is no, not really no free time, time yeah. <laughs> to, to, to do that but they had the chance to visit Colorado in the past okay by All the right. way Denver is the city with the highest density of breweries 
in the U.S. True? It is true. See, that's only a fellow will be able yeah. to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us have no. Not even if we had the time. I think if we had one, then the next morning it'd be a bad, bad uh, situation. <laughs> um, well, you know, I think that it was interesting what happened with this uh, this facility. Is we were supposed to be in San Francisco, but the uh, center is undergoing construction, so that was a big challenge. Maybe for their European colleagues, I do want to ask you a little bit about the um, the the UCAMED guidelines in terms of sponsorship to attend conferences. I don't know if you're aware of this, but but um, you know, TCT has a very very large international presence. The majority of uh, international attendees are sponsored by industry. Um, and I think in a lot of cases that allows people to come and get education, but there are new guidelines saying that you really can't do that. You can't directly um, sponsor an individual physician yep. to attend. Um, we certainly, I think, have already started to feel the effects of that at this meeting. Um, what are your, th your thoughts on that overall? I mean, you all are, are, are famous and, and are certainly going to be coming to meetings irrespective of that, but does it affect your colleagues? Um, and what are their thoughts on that? Uh, yes, I, I think it's. Uh, I don't think it's a good. It's a good decision because uh, the, those kind of uh, meetings, like the TCT or, or EuroPCR, are, are the places that has the, was the education of uh, doctors was uh, was done, and um, uh, the risk is that there is less people attending. So. We'll Less, less training, and uh, it's not true that you can replace that, but uh, by videos or whatever. So, uh, no, I'm I'm not very happy. Which which is strange is that uh, when you discuss with the companies, they say, "Oh, we, yeah, yeah, we were against that," but they were all against that. But finally, they they they, they took the decision. So, uh, I don't know what is behind, but uh, not sure it's good for those big big meetings and for education of doctors in general. And have you actually ha had colleagues that have sort of now felt that they they're not going to be able to attend, or is that not happened oh, yeah. yet? Yeah. Oh yes, it happened. It happened. Uh, yeah. So some for colleagues this. didn't come to the, this meeting for for that reason. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting. In industry, when you ask them, um, they they will say that they don't want to do it, especially for meetings like this, PCR yeah. and otherwise. But one of the challenges I think that they have is there's so many meetings now that the budget gets. You yeah. know, quite quite high, and so this is probably a way to cut back on that. But um, if it also leads to reductions in attendance at, at um, some of the more scientific meetings, um, you know, not making judgments about one meeting or mm. another, then that can be uh, somewhat uh, somewhat a problem. Bernard, have you seen the same thing or not yet? Yes, of course, and I think the risk is to affect the young colleagues, and it's probably more. Mm. It will be probably more difficult for them in the future to attend this kind of meeting, and it's very important for them for the training process. So uh, I think we have uh, clearly to think a different, different way and it will be certainly very important for TCT to, uh, to manage this issue, particularly for European colleagues. So we've been joined by my, uh, my brother, uh, <laughs> Zhubo, <laughs> Professor Zhubo from China. Um, he, he works at and runs the cath lab at the busiest PCI center in the world. Um, it used to be people were close. Now I think, what are you, 50,000 PCIs a year? No. 18. <laughs> oh, man. 18,000 PCIs a year. Not bad. Yeah. And, Too uh, bad. <laughs> and Zubo also presented a, uh, uh, a first report on uh, the use of uh, QFR as well. We talked about it um, before in the context of the European study. Are you using this in the lab a lot now? QFR? Uh, actually, the QFR, uh, the Favor 2 China study was uh, designed according to uh, approved by CFDA. Actually, the, the system will not uh, will be approved 
by CFD. Uh, in, the, in, in the uh, investigational center, we already used uh, this technology in select, selected patient. Yeah, no, actually, I think for my live case in uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for CIT, it yeah. was used in that case. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty, it was pretty cool to use. Yeah. So we've talked about a bunch of things. Any observations about TCT? You liking it? Not liking it? Denver? Or uh, anything else? Denver, Denver is amazing. You like yeah, it? Yeah, but temperature is uh, <laughs> <laughs> is, <laughs> is uh, dramatic, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I. I uh, I brought all my winter stuff because on Friday, after the meeting's over, I'm going to hike a 14,000-foot uh, peak that's very, very close by. So we'll see how that goes. Um, well, uh, when I uh, heard your discussion previously, the discussion about the uh, I, uh, I predict you are talking about the uh, the the uh, I'm sorry uh, meeting. Education. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I, the real I, issue in China I, as well. I, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a very, very important issue in China. Uh, uh, recently, I would say recently, the a lot of uh, internet-based education program. Uh, almost every day, uh, uh, internet-based uh, life care transmission everywhere in China. Really? This now, I, I also, Gary Mintz was telling me that there's a lot of WeChat stuff that yes. goes on, too. So tell me, unfortunately, tell me. you cannot use WeChat. I have been banned from WeChat <laughs> multiple times for <laughs> reasons that I don't know, and yeah. I'm a little bit afraid that somebody yeah. is using my thing, and then I'm going to show up in China and something bad is going to yeah. happen. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, a lot. I mean, he said he participated in Ivis thing where there was thousands of people yeah. on yeah. at the same time. For example, in the, in the, in a CTO course, uh, the uh, broadcaster, the, the live case by WeChat or the internet system, uh, the total uh, visits more than 100,000 globally. <laughs> That's unbelievable. But I am sure is this is streaming? not uh, live, live streaming. streaming. Yeah. On, on uh, also, you, you can repeat. <coughs> uh, you, you can you can re review it. So w with that in mind, then I mean. So what do you think is going to happen to meetings? Yeah, we, uh, we must uh, consider this uh, something will happen in the future. Uh, the big meeting like uh, TCT, PCR, uh, also I must uh, consider CIT, mm. maybe some change. Yeah, I mean, the one thing is that obviously people come to the meetings not just to watch the things, but also to meet their colleagues yeah. and come up with ideas. Yeah. And that is very, very important, sure. uh, you know, especially for people that you're in the lab all day just doing cases. It's nice to see your friends, colleagues, and mm. figure out what they're doing mm. and get ideas. Uh, so that aspect of things, we have to figure out some way around that because I don't think social medias or things like that can replace some of the interpersonal stuff. I certainly can't hug you over social media. Yeah, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, any other final comments? And I think otherwise we'll, we'll, we'll probably wrap up this segment. Uh, uh, and what are you looking forward to tonight? Philip, tonight, um, hanging out with other colleagues from other programs, like fellows that I had met from other educational courses or conferences that year too. So get together with them is always good. Also that's like old cardiology fellowship friends. No, that's great. Any, anything, do you have, both have planned? Oh, uh, continue to work, uh, unfortunately, yeah, continue, continue to, work. to work, investigate our meetings yeah. Yeah. of trials uh, after, uh, after and the meeting. Any trials that you're really looking forward to seeing the results of here at the meeting that you haven't seen already? Um. Or one that struck you that's already been presented? 
The senior, senior should be interested. Yeah, That's senior is tomorrow at 11. Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, it will be another piece of uh, evidence uh, added to the, the new HI bleeding risk population that were, uh, we're uh, unknown before, and uh, we are talking so much, so many trials. But it's it, the second one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think that'll be good. And, uh, and then I think the final day, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. There's a, there, I've heard a fair amount of buzz on, on uh, the Orbita trial, yeah. which is a yeah. sham controlled trial of mm. PCI and, and stable patients. Um, but the, also the FAME, the FAME 2 three-year data will yeah. be shown. So those two are nice together. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we'll see. I just don't know if, uh, how many people will be here on Thursday, but uh, everybody can certainly follow on the web. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so thanks so much for everybody for joining us. It was, it was really, it was great to just grab some people off the side and everything else. But uh, I really appreciate it. And on behalf of everybody, Roxana in particular, who's really TCT Radio is her baby. She just wants to thank everybody uh, for participating and, uh, and being here at the meeting as well. Oh, thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.